Good morning. If you have your copy of your New Testament with you, would you be turning to the book of 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's truly good to be together. We say that quite often, but it truly is to, to be here on a day such as this and enjoy another beautiful day among God's creation. We do have many that we are praying for, many that we are concerned about, as has been said already this morning. We want to remember them. We miss them when they're not here, but we are thankful for your choice to be here this morning as we assemble together to study God's Word. If you have your copy of the bulletin in front of you, you may be confused by the outline. Uh, you notice that there are 10 points in the lesson today, but absolutely no notes to fill in. Uh, that's because I thought I'd just give you the space to write. Uh, if you write uh, chicken scratch like me, then you may have plenty of room, but if you don't, then uh, you may need to, to fill it in. But uh, we are going to look at 10 points here in just a moment. If there's one thing that probably most people in the world would agree on, you know, there's not much that unites us very often. We have disagreements on things, things that uh, we don't agree on, whether it comes to politics or life or whatever it might be. But if there's one thing that we might agree on, it's probably that almost everyone does not like to go to the doctor. So we make Don come to us, usually, all right? That's what Don, Don gets to do. But we don't like to go to the doctor. I, you know, nothing against doctors. We give him a hard time, but nothing against doctors. It's just that most of us don't like to go and be examined, have to go through tests, have to often find out that maybe there's something wrong, and we either need a shot, or we need medicine, or we need a procedure, or we receive diagnoses that are not fun to think about, things that tell us that maybe we have a serious problem or that we're going to lose a loved one. So most of us avoid the doctor, and really most of us avoid the tests that go along with the doctor. You know, I guess I could say that maybe the thing we agree on is that most of us don't like tests, whether it be back in school when we had to take uh, standardized, standardized tests and thing like, things like that. We just don't like tests. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5, the Apostle Paul would tell those brethren there and still tell us, of course, today, Test yourselves. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? See, it seems like that's something that Paul is telling us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we should do. Almost like a command, something that we should follow through on. We should regularly test ourselves. I don't know how you would go about doing that. The 10 points that we're going to look at today actually come from, I wanted to be sure and share with you, this is just a copy of the front of the book, but it's called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health by a man named Don Whitney. Now, I don't have this book. I've not, not read it. I found a couple of articles that discuss these 10 questions. And so all 10 questions, I want you to know, come from, from this book, and I think it might be beneficial to you, although I've not examined it myself. But it's something to just challenge us. I think they are worthy of our consideration as we work through them, you will see that while there may not be an exact verse that says, do this exact thing, they're all biblical thoughts, and we will provide scripture that remind us that these are some things that we should be doing. But as we think about going day in and day out through our lives, walking the Christian walk, trying to be sure that we are on the path to heaven above, living faithfully, there may come points in your life where you say, I'm not sure where I am. I'm not sure where I stand. I don't know if I'm doing good. I don't know if I'm doing bad. I don't know where I fall. And so Mr. Whitney here, I think, provides 10 questions that are worthy for us to consider, and we're going to examine them this morning. 
and try in about 26 minutes or less. Here we go. Number one, do you thirst for God? Do you thirst for God? You see, if you want to examine your life, ask yourself that question right now as you read it on the screen. But, of course, if you're making notes, or you can always go back and listen to this as we do provide it on our uh, social media sites and things, you can always go back and find these again or buy the book. But, but you should, as you think about examining yourself, ask yourself, do you thirst for God? Do you remember what it's like to be thirsty? I mean, it's not a, a young or old thing. We all get thirsty from time to time. I do, though, often think back to when I was a young person, quite often engaged in a sports act activity or practice, being run to death, you know, by the coach, and, and you get, whether it's the heat or the gym or whatever it might be, you are thirsty. Do you thirst for God? When you are thirsty for water in that moment, or even if you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you find yourself being thirsty, maybe a little different when you're thirsty there as opposed to when you are hot and, and have ex exerted yourself on the field of sports, but very often, especially when you're playing sports and you're active like that, do you go over to the, the, the water and just take a little sip? You know, oh, I'm good now. Or do you take as much as you can, as fast as you can? If you could stand under the water hose, that's what you would pre pre prefer to do because you are thirsty. You want to drink it in. We know in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6 that Jesus says there in the Beatitudes, as we call them, blessed are those who hunger. There's you a good mindset as well. Place that hunger. You know what it's like to be hungry with thirst. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you a person who is bent on learning more about God? Because you want to dive into his word, into his church, into Bible studies. Because you just want to know more about God. I think I mentioned in our class on Wednesday night or recently that I've been thinking about and mulling over a lesson, allowing it to kind of marinate and bake about why we do what we do. Well, not just why maybe we sing instead of have instruments or why we take the Lord's Supper each first day of the week. But why is it that you show up here? Why is it? that you serve others. I hope it's because you have a thirst for God, because you are a person who wants to know more about him. You see, I come on Sunday morning. I come for the fun and for the laughter that we share. I've come for the fellowship and to learn about my brothers and sisters, but I also come to be closer to God, to worship him. Do you thirst for God, a relationship? Harken back again to maybe when you had that first boyfriend or girlfriend or in the throes of love there and you were kind of infatuated with someone you had a thirst for that person wanting to be around them wanting to be wanting to know everything you can about them and yet sometimes our relationship for God is more like a, a long distance one that we just call from time to time or as we see fit or as it benefits us as opposed to truly thirsting for him and let me say as you well know a relationship has to be a two-way thing you should be reading his word do you thirst for him and his word and bible study and are you talking to him is that a two-way relationship or is it one of those one-way relationships that just sucks all the energy and effort out of you because someone's just drawing from you as opposed to it being something that is beneficial to both do you thirst for god how would you answer that question this morning 
Number two, are you governed increasingly by God's word? Now, again, these come straight from the book. That might not be the way I would word it, but that's what the, why it's worded that way on the screen. Are you governed increasingly by God's word? Maybe another way that we might could say that is, or ask that is, are you not doing things today that you used to do? Now, I look around the room, and for most of us, the time that we became a Christian, that we committed to Christ, was probably a long time ago. Probably a long time ago, when that initial change was made. But as you think about your life, and even if you became a Christian a long time ago, as you continue to live, are there things that you are not doing today that you used to do? Or... Is it that you look back on things that you used to do, and even though you committed to Christ, and even though you claim to be faithful, now some 5, 10, 20, 50 years later, you're still doing those same things? How about this? Maybe we should train ourselves to think this. What does the Bible say about blank? What does the Bible say about blank? Maybe we should train ourselves to ask that question in every single thing. You know, for most of us, we ask, what would my mama have done? Or what would my daddy have done in this situation? What would my grandparents have done? And there's nothing wrong with that in a sense. But maybe we should ask ourselves, what is it that God would have us to do? And here's where I would challenge you, because what we do sometimes is we make that list and we say, well, what does God say about instrumental music or about baptism or about the Lord's Supper or about praying or giving? And we forget, what does God say about your marriage, your job, your words, maybe even what you eat, where you spend your money, what you're watching who you're spending your time with. You see, we like these things over here, and we should. We should care about those things, but then we don't think that God speaks at all through his word to us about any of these other things. We know Psalm 119 and verse 105. Thy word should be, it is, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I think about those in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Do you remember the commendation that's given there? The, the encouragements that's given. Acts 17, 11, Paul's talking about, or I guess Luke is talking about in his writing there, I guess I should say, the Bereans who were more noble or more fair-minded, depending on the version that you have in front of you, they're more noble than those in Thessalonica. Well, why is that? Luke, why is that? That they are more noble? Is it because they're better looking? Is it because they're richer? Is it because they're higher up on the totem pole at work or in the community? It's because they search the scriptures daily. That's what our study less, our study was a few weeks ago on Sunday afternoon about study aids that we can use so that we can all have things to help us learn the scriptures. And once again, we don't always go to the Bible when it comes to things like abortion or dinosaurs or the government or our relationships. I was trying to find a random enough list, but there is everything that we need to consider. The Bible probably speaks about it in some way. It may not help you with your accounting homework, but it does talk about how we should treat our money and many other things that we think about. You know, I I was thinking about the books that probably populate your bookshelf like they do some of mine. You know, Dale Carnegie was onto something with how to win friends and influence people. We think about Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We think about Tony Robbins or Oprah's Book Club. Those are all fine in a sense, but are we governed increasingly by God's word? Or is that the last resort for us when we're looking for help sometimes? 
Number three, are you more loving? Are you more loving? Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Galatians chapter 5. Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Do you remember in Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Once again, another one of those commands, one of those things that we are told to do, plain and simple, walk in the Spirit. All right, Paul, what does that look like? How is that supposed to happen? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, he draws it in contrast to fulfilling the lust of the flesh in verse 16. Verse 17 begins to tell us those things that are fleshly lusts. We know verse 19, the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, in case we missed anything, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also tell you in time past, that those who practice such things, notice it very clearly, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, we do like to live in gray areas. We like to convolute things and kind of say, well, I don't know, and how can you know? We're not sure. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, is pretty plain. Those who participate in these things, these works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, the contrast in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is beginning with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, the encouragement at the end of that, against such, there is no law. Kind of like that water, you can take in as much as you can take in. And, you know, I saw even a, a fellow preacher say this week, the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruits, it's not nine different things, but one fruit of the Spirit with nine different characteristics, and it's not a pick and choose. It's not a multiple choice. Well, I'm doing better in love today, but I'm not doing so good in patience or kindness. No, there's nine characteristics, and if we want to walk in the Spirit, have the fruit of the Spirit, then we should have all nine of these characteristics showing forth in our life. Are you more loving? You know, someone who was discussing this, these ten points here gave a good example. They said, do you want to know if you're more loving? Ask your family, right? Ask those around you. He even went so far as to say it this way. Try writing down some good characteristics. I mean, begin to list these things. The fruit of the Spirit, you know, you could kind of go on and go a little bit further and write down some bad characteristics. Maybe some things that we shouldn't do, impatient, anger, temper, having to temper, all those kinds of things. Get that list to your children or your family or your spouse and have them circle which ones they say describe you. Now, yeah, in a sense, we all love one another and so maybe we would just kind of naturally gravitate towards the good things. But maybe someone might say some of the bad things. And then we began to see, are we more loving? Maybe, maybe not. And if we're not, then maybe our spiritual health is failing and we need to improve. Number four, are you more sensitive to God's presence? Are you more sensitive to God's presence. Now, this is certainly one of those that I didn't necessarily prefer the way it's worded. I want you to understand that, that we would not teach that there is some kind of mystical way in which God's presence is, is over us or something like that. There's not a, a wind that blows through the room and we say, oh, well, that must have been God. It's not like that. 
But yet the Bible speaks about God's presence. We know James chapter 4 in verse number 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a location thing. That's a, that's a presence thing. Yeah, we don't feel him sitting on our shoulder. I don't, I don't mean to be irreverent. We don't feel him sitting on our shoulder in a sense. But we can feel God's presence. Where do we feel God's presence? Go to the scripture. Go to the scripture where God revealed himself most clearly. Be aware that he is working in your life in a sense. You know, I've given you the example of providence before, and that, that's kind of a whole other lesson. We definitely don't have time for that this morning. But, but one thing the Bible continues to speak about when it speaks about God's providence is this idea of perhaps or, or maybe. That sometimes in the moment, we, we can't say, well, that was God. Because maybe it's a little bit later that we look back and we say, well, just maybe that's why things turned out the way that they did. Because, you know, we run into a problem when we say, well, that, that accident that killed that teenager, well, that was God's will or God's providence. Or, you know, me saving my job, well, that was God's providence. Or we can turn it into lots of things. And so we have to be careful sometimes. But certainly, it's not some mystical way in which God is in our lives, this kind of idea. But he is working in our lives. We should seek out worship opportunities where God's presence is. Not just here, we're glad that you're here, but what about other opportunities? Gospel meetings and things that are going on in the area, seminars and things that you can attend. Other places where Christians are, are gathered together and worshiping him. Are you more sensitive to God's presence? Number five, do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? There's several things to unpack there. Of course, this idea of others. We've been discussing that in our Wednesday night class in the Church Reset book, the one another passages. We should be concerned about one another. We should be in each other's lives. Notice if we're talking about spiritual health, though, when we think about our children going to the doctor, we should be growing. Even if we are 60 70, 80 years old, whatever it might be, we should continue to grow. Are we growing in our concern for what? For two things, both the temporal needs and the spiritual needs. I'm thankful for this congregation. I'm thankful for the desire of all of you as Christians and brothers and sisters to help meet the physical needs. You meet the physical needs of each other. We see that. Got the call this week, the message that Miss Pat, Pat was sick before we knew she had COVID. And it doesn't take many phone calls and messages to have several days of food filled up to try to help meet somebody's physical needs. I've seen you work in the community. We've had the clothing giveaway and things in which we try to meet the physical needs of those around us. But we cannot forget the spiritual needs as well. How often do we seek to help one another with spiritual needs? needs and let me tell you it ain't easy it ain't easy to get into each other's lives and to ask the tough spiritual questions sometimes about how we're doing but it's necessary you might not be able to do it all especially when it comes to the temporal physical needs you may say I don't have enough money just to give freely we understand that you may not have it all but you can start somewhere John chapter 13 love one another Ephesians chapter 4, forgive one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. James 5 verse 16, confess your sins to one another on the spiritual side for sure. And Galatians 6 2, bear one another's burdens. 
are we growing in our concern for what's going on around us, for others, not just turned inward on ourselves, but looking around us to try to help people with the needs they have, yes, physically and here in the temporal sense, but also spiritually. Number six, do you delight in the bride of Christ? If you were to go home this afternoon and take a look at these questions, what would you say to number six? Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Again, in some of the reading that I was doing among some of the people who had written about this book, one person said, do you love the church or does it mostly get up your nose sometimes? Yeah, we're human. Yeah, we kind of frustrate each other sometimes, maybe have problems and conflict But do we delight in the bride of Christ? If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. You know it as I know it as the discussion of marriage. Christ and the church. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But verse 25 begins. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. We emphasize this passage to remind our husbands, our men, that you, how much you are to love your wife and how you are to show that you love your wife. But sometimes we harp on the husbands and we forget to mention what Christ actually did. Because you see, again, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us thinking or questioning or wondering, how is it that Christ loved the church? Of course, verse 25 says he gave himself for her. But there's a chance in your Bible the sentence doesn't stop there. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And we do usually reference that beautiful wedding day that bride wanting things to be perfect the dress to be perfect that day to be the most memorable and wonderful thing and we do think about this fact that the bride of Christ the church can be should be holy without blemish he's done his part we have to do our part the question here is what have I done for the church this week I'm not asking if you picked up the trash on your pew. I'm not asking if you helped maybe change the paper towels or the toilet paper, if you've done something with the air conditioning or anything like that. We're thankful for those that do that. What have I done for the church this week? And let me go back to the previous ideas and say, both physically, in a temporal sense, and spiritually, do you delight in the bride of Christ? Look, I know, I get it. We're not all going to get along 100% of the time. We have people maybe that we don't just jive with as well as we do others sometimes. But this is the bride of Christ. This is the church. Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Number seven, are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Now, let me say here again, this is another one of those questions that some people will know what I'm talking about and others won't because the Bible per se doesn't give us a list. Here's the 12 spiritual disciplines that you have to do. But if you've ever read about spiritual disciplines, and I I bought a book a year or so ago and and haven't even picked it up yet, but it's been in my, my queue to read, but about spiritual disciplines. And if you go back and you read what people write about that, they're simply talking about some of the things that we do already practice, things like worship, Things like prayer, 
things like service for one another. But if you do pick up what some in the past just men have written, they talk about things like meditation, fasting, solitude. Things that God doesn't say, well, you know what? you got to be by yourself an hour a week or five hours a week or whatever. But we know that Jesus sometimes went to be by himself, that sometimes we feel better when we go into solitude, and not just solitude to get away from the kids for a few minutes, but solitude in that we really spend a few moments in solitude and maybe even in meditation, in solitude and maybe even in prayer. And these spiritual disciplines can be important to us. What we do is sometimes we'll say, well, maybe they're not in the Bible. They're not worth my time. I'll do some. I'll leave others. And and I get it again. As the Bible talks about some of these things, if you do some study into it. But if we do practice these things, we see sometimes that they will benefit us. Or maybe did you used to read the Bible more than you do today? You see the word again, instead of increasingly or growing. You know, we live in a world of microwaves, fast food, instant gratification. The idea of spiritual disciplines is just simply the opposite of that in that we would devote ourselves to these disciplines which can help us grow as we strive to be Christ-like. None of us really like discipline most of the time, but most of us have to practice discipline. I'm not talking about with just our children, but in our own lives, giving up things spending time that we could be doing something else in service in worship in prayer in reading are you practicing some of these things increasingly in your life number eight do you still grieve over sin do you still grieve over sin i don't know if you're still in ephesians there but ephesians 4 beginning in verse 17 paul begins a discussion on the new man he said that you should no longer walk as the, as, as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And you see some phrases there. Beginning in Ephesians 4 verse 17. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And here's the key phrase for us in this point. Verse 19, who being past feeling being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Have you ever lost feeling in something? You know, I picked up the guitar years ago and and had a hard time learning to play the guitar. That was because those tips of your fingers, for any of you that that play an instrument or a stringed instrument, you've got to learn to, to lose a little bit of feeling there, to build up a callus so that it doesn't hurt when you push those strings down. But it hurts at first. I'd pick it up one day and play for about two minutes and think, well, maybe this isn't for me. And I'd try again a little bit later, and you work and work until you lose a little bit of feeling in your fingers. Not permanently. It comes back, and then if you keep playing, maybe it comes back again. But, but when we think about grieving over sin, these people were beyond feeling. They didn't feel anymore. Not just in their fingertips, not just heat or pain, but they'd lost their grievance the grieving that we can feel and should feel over sin. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2 says something very similar. Paul tells Timothy that there are some who are designated as having left the faith and they are said to have had their conscience seared with a hot iron. I remember that first time I touched an iron as a kid. Reached up and just kind of hit the side of it with my hand. You know what it's like to sear something. And we know what it's like to kind of stop feeling and caring about things sometimes. 
Do you still grieve over sin? You know, I kind of think it's, it's hard not to say that maybe that's not the agenda in our world today. The agenda of the people who are pushing lifestyles that the Bible doesn't agree with, with sin in general. They don't have to convince us all to agree with them in one day, in one movie, or in one song, or anything like that. They've just got to wear us down over time. They've just got to cause us to get to a point where when we see somebody sinning, we say, that's eh, just not a big deal. It's just somebody else. And the next thing you know, you're involved in it as well. Do you still grieve over sin in your life and when you see it around you? Number nine, are you, you got to notice, a quicker forgiver? Not a quicker quilted picker-upper or whatever the paper towels are. Are you a quicker forgiver? We know Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, that's something that keeps us in line a little bit, recognizing our need for forgiveness. But are you a quicker forgiver? You know, I, I believe I'm of the persuasion, and once again, I think we've talked about it before but another lesson for another time I believe it's really hard almost impossible to forgive someone who won't repent but I think part of the mindset behind this question is we can be ready to forgive you know someone may not be willing to repent and we have this problem between us that they won't change their lifestyle and change their way but we can be ready we can have an attitude of forgiveness Always remembering in our lives, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, forgive one another even as Christ forgave you. Are we quick to forgive or as I said a moment ago, have the spirit, the attitude of forgiveness? See, some people are always willing to forgive and someone says they're sorry for a moment. They don't change their life. Next thing they know, they do it again. And they say, well, I'm sorry. And you forgive and they do it again. They do it again. See, sometimes there's got to be a change in action, but we can stand ready to forgive others. Most of us would say, well, I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anybody. I'm not a thief. So then we think, well, you know, it's just not a big deal, some of the things I've done. But yet, maybe we should remember how far we would be away, how, 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 in how much trouble we would be if it weren't for the blood of Christ. And as Christ forgave us for all the things that we have done, whether they be murdering or not, or anything else on that list, we should be ready to forgive others. Number 10, finally this morning, do you yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus? Do you yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. Paul reminds those brethren and again us today. Set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth. Matthew 10 28. Do not fear those who kill the body. But, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Most of you remember there's been songs. There's probably been uh, other things about it, but the old phrase, everybody wants to go to heaven, but not right now. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you would, to, to hold on to this one for next week. I've been thinking about a sermon that, that I'd like to share next week, and it kind of deals with this topic or this idea. I want to come back and revisit it, but even in the moment this morning, do you yearn for heaven 
and be with Jesus? See, I think a lot of us would say the answer to that is yes. But going back to some of the things we've already mentioned, do you show it with your actions? Or would you rather stay here? And I love my life, in a sense. I love my family. I don't want to leave them. But do we yearn for heaven and to be with the Son of God, the Father, God, and heaven above? How does that affect what we are doing? I, I didn't go back and put all ten questions again on, on the screen. I know it would be hard to fit them all on there. But hopefully as you were making notes, if you were, you look at that list and you can go home this afternoon or this evening or as you start your week or what about every morning or every night? Look over a list of something like this and ask yourself, how am I doing? Is my spiritual health failing? There's a good chance that you're not failing at all 10 questions, right? There's a good chance that you're doing pretty good at some things. Maybe you're doing really good at serving others and showing some love. Maybe you're struggling to pray and to, to read. Maybe you're, you're improving in some ways but falling behind in others. See, it's a lot like our physical health. And it's a lot like our physical health in that as we began in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, we are to test ourselves to see if we are of the faith, if we are in Christ, and how we're doing in our walk with God. As we conclude this morning, we are extending heaven's invitation by singing a song that's been selected. Maybe you're here and you need to obey God's simple plan of salvation. You've heard some of the word this morning. There's a chance you've heard more of it in the past. Do you believe the word of God, that it is true, what God says? If so, then you are ready to repent of your sins. That's what we've been talking about, a change of mind that leads to a change of life, change of action. You can change your mind and your life and repent Walk away from sin and begin to walk towards God. As you do that, you can confess Jesus as Lord, even before an audience such as this. And then you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Because it's not the water here, it's not the preacher or the elders, but it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. As you're baptized for the remission of your sins, the Lord will add you to his church. And you can begin to live faithfully. But if you're here this morning and you're a child of God, you've done those things in time past, but you've not been faithful, we'll be singing to encourage you as well. Maybe you can say in the moment right now, I have been failing in some of these ways. You'd like to come forward and make it known. And as one of our elders will be here in just a moment to, to talk with you and to pray with you and for you. We're thankful to be together among family because we can ask ourselves these things and encourage ourselves together. Maybe you need to become a Christian and maybe you need to come back to him. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.